Hello, Sawbona, how's it? Molo, Jambo, and welcome to Every Nation Devon Podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. I would be a fantastic candidate for the Antichrist or for the beast of Revelation chapter 13. Uh, why? Well, because when we look at the Antichrist and we look at the beast in, in Revelation chapter 13, we see uh, a, a personality that is exercising economic, political control, military control, controlling the economy, somebody that everybody is in awe of and amazed with. And, and when it comes to AI and the capabilities of AI, we see that this really could be a good match. But I want us to know this morning that as I'm sharing these things, I'm proposing things. I'm not preaching doctrine. Okay, so I don't want you to come out of last week's sermon and go, AI is the devil. All right, that's not, what I'm, that's not what we're going after. And then we become like that weird Christian cult where, you know, AI is the devil, don't use ChatGPT, you know, it's gonna brainwash you. And then, okay, that's, that's not the point of what we're going after here, okay? What I'm doing is I'm, I'm looking at the times we're in, I'm looking at biblical prophecy, and I'm drawing similarities, and I'm proposing things. And, and I, I could be totally wrong on these things, and I'm happy with that. That is the risk of doing a series like that. I'm happy to be totally wrong about what I'm proposing in some of these sermons that I'm preaching. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, AI could actually work out that the gospel is the truth and could become the best preacher of Jesus Christ and, like, and the way of Christ. And then the Antichrist arises and shuts down AI. And then, you know what I mean? Like, I, we don't know. Okay? But it's just important that we keep alert as to what is happening. And as Christians, the way we should think about technology is we should always look at it as a tool, all right? That it's a tool in order to further our biblical mandate, which is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Christians have always been at the forefront of technology and science, and we must stay there. I mean, last week I spoke about how translation technology has increased to the point now where language is no longer a barrier like we're back at the Tower of Babel. But I, I didn't mention that, that actually Christians have been at the forefront of translation technology. Why? To take the gospel to the ends of the earth. All right, so it's, this thing has, has progressed because of a lot of Christian involvement in these things. So, so we don't look at technology as evil. We look at it as tools. We stay at the cutting edge of them. I mean, I was in overseas, I was in, in Europe recently, and I, and I was listening at a conference about how there's this particular ministry that's operating in the Middle East, where it's illegal to preach the gospel in a number of countries there, but they have an online ministry in those nations that is winning Muslim people to Christ online, discipling them online before ever meeting them. And they're able to do it without being killed because it's in an online environment, and not like on the streets, where if they went out just pre holding their Bible in a street corner in Iran, it might be a problem. They might not get to the end of their sermon. <laughs> but they can do it in an online environment, and it's happening, and the gospel's advancing. So, so just, I'm just throwing this out there just to say that let's keep a balance as we go through this series. Um, and, and also, while, we, while we're going through the series, I really want us to run two software programs at the same time. Okay, one software program is we're looking at what the revelation is, is telling us about the beast and the antichrist and what could happen in that, what is going to happen in that line. But at the same time, we must also keep our other software program running, which is the God story. 
the redemption of humanity, the gospel advancing into nations, people being transformed by the gospel. We're seeing the church rising up, Christians doing greater things even than Jesus because he said, greater things shall you do because I go to the Father. So, so while we're watching this beast and this antichrist system and the world's moving in this way, we don't get all fearful and scared and like we wanna pack our bags and run away. We've got this other software program running where saying, hey, while that's happening, we're busy with the work of the Lord. We're seeing sinners come to salvation. We're seeing disciples made. We're seeing the church arise. We're seeing a church advancing in nations, you know? And so we we run these two programs like this, amen? Amen. Are you good? So I wanna pick up where I left off last week talking about AI, and I wanna talk this morning about transhumanism. Transhumanism, the world's most dangerous idea, question mark. That's what people are saying about transhumanism, that it is the world's most dangerous idea. We're gonna unpack that this morning in light of the scriptures, have a biblical response for it, and I hope that you're all gonna walk out of here much more alert and awake of what this topic is all about. So can we pray before we get into the word? We're gonna go to Genesis chapter six, and um, can I ask you to stand before we we read the, the word? And maybe you can just pray after me this morning. You can just repeat after me. Father in heaven, heaven, we commit this time to you. We believe believe that your plans for us are good. And everything good good starts with your word. Your Your word brings life, life. healing, healing, and direction. direction. We treasure your word more than our daily bread. bread. And we boldly confess confess that our minds are alert, our Our hearts are receptive, receptive. and we say, speak, Lord. Kuluma and Kosi, for your servants are listening. listening. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat? So you're in Genesis 6. Okay. Genesis chapter six, and we're gonna read from verse one to eight. It says the following. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. Sounds like now, hey, there's population curves increasing. And daughters were born to them that the sons of God, bene ha Elohim, sons of God, which is uh, the word translated is also translated as angels, all right? When the angels saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit will not strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh yet his days shall be 120 years. God put a limit on our age for a reason, all right? Living any longer than that is gonna be a problem. Can you, believe, can you agree with me that whenever God puts something in place, it's always for our own benefits? Okay, so I want you to see that there's a God-ordained boundary here that's been put in place, 120 years. What's your hope? Come on, the full 120, amen? (laughs) As long as we're in good health, amen. Amen. Verse four, there were giants, Nephilim is the the Hebrew word there, on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. So 
during the times of Noah and also afterward. When the sons of God, Beneha Elohim, the angels, came into the daughters of men and they brought children to them. These were the mighty men, Gibor is the Hebrew word there, also meaning tyrants, the mighty tyrants who were of old, men of renown. And then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Verse eight, but, can you say but? It's always good when there's a but in the Bible. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Just pause there. We're going to come back to the scripture in a moment. We're going to read on. But what I, I want us to just take a note of what is going on in this passage over here. Have you ever read this and just like really pondered this? I mean, this is wild stuff that we're reading here. Fallen angels coming into the daughters of men, a new species or a transhuman race, a human hybrid on the earth that is called giants or mighty or tyrants. Um, an another phrase for them is terrifying as well. That there were these terrifying transhuman species on the earth and they weren't only on the earth in the time of Noah, but they were also after the flood as well. In fact, what we do is when we read the rest of Genesis, what we find in Genesis 14 and 15, we find Abraham encountering, encountering these giants. Then later on, when, they, when the Israelites are coming to possess the promised land, we see Moses encountering these giants. We see Joshua encountering those giants. And we all know that famous scripture in Numbers 23 where the, the 10 spies come back from scouting the promised land. And what do they say? We were like in our own side and well, often we look at that passage and we, and we talk about the Israelites having a poor self-image and it's totally right. They did have a poor self-image, right? They did not have a God-given identity within them directing their lives, but they had a, a poor self-image because they said, we looked like grasshoppers in our own eyes, but it wasn't just a self-image problem because they looked like grasshoppers in their eyes too. They were literal giants, terrifying transhuman species living on the earth in those days. We see some of them in, in Numbers um, and, and in Joshua where there was this one king, Og, there were multiple tribes, multiple tribes of these giants living on the earth. One of the kings was a name called Og of a tribe of Bashan who were these fallen, uh, like these giants, all right? And Og's bed is recorded as being four meters long or by one meter wide. Four meters, I think this roof is five meters high. Somewhere around there, yeah? Yeah, so, so just, just a meter short of this roof. Guys, can you imagine facing something like that? So when they were going into the promised land, it wasn't just a poor self-image, it was literal like, oh, wow. <laughs> What is this? Like they needed faith. They needed to trust Yeshua to get into the, that promised land. They were literal giants there. Um, there's another scripture I want to show you. You don't have to go there, but if you wouldn't mind just pulling it up there. Um, 
the next one, thanks. In Deuteronomy 2, it talks about the imim. I want you to stay in Genesis. The imim had dwelt there in times past, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. And they were also regarded as giants, Rephaim. Can you say the word Rephaim? They were also regarded as giants, Rephaim. I want you to remember that word, Rephaim. Like the Anakim, but the Moabites called them Imim, which means frightful ones. So what we see is multiple transhuman tribes. One of the tribes mentioned later in Deuteronomy 22 is the Avivites, and the literal translation there is serpents. And the place, the city where they dwelt was the place of the serpent. And we know from archaeology and other extra-biblical sources that this is real. This was like a common understanding that these, this species lived on the earth in those times. And, um, so, and, and there's reports from these extra-biblical sources that there was cannibalism there, that there was occultic uh, immorality, human sacrifice. When, when the Philistines spread out their army, remember even Goliath was like one of these giants, all right? Goliath was two meters tall. His coats of bronze weighed 60, almost 60 kgs. I mean, we're talking about, <laughs> you know, I know we look at Achia Sneiman and Sia, you know, and these guys are strong. We're talking next level here, okay? We're talking next level creatures. Uh, six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot. The, these were transhuman species, okay? And and with the place where they spread out, the Philistines spread out, is known as the Hinnom Valley, where the Greek word, in the Greek it's the Gehenna, which is where we get the concept of hell. And so the Israelites, for them, the place where they were was literally hell on earth. That's what, that's, that's what the projection of Scripture, that's what Scripture is telling us, that this was like hell on earth, these tribes and how they operated. It's interesting that this word Rephaim, all right, over here, is translated a few other times, many actually other times in Scripture, as dead, as the dead. And what it's almost communicating to us here is that they're like the walking dead, like a zombie kind of creature on the earth. <laughs> yes, we're in church. Now, According to Scripture, what we see intimated here in Genesis, the passage that we just read, and in Deuteronomy, and in Joshua and Exodus, is this, is that these tribes were unredeemable. They were unredeemable. They had to be completely destroyed. It's as soon as we see these fallen angels creating this transhuman species on the earth that immediately God is like, I've got to destroy the planet because of this. And, but Noah found grace in the sight of God. Not only that, when Joshua and Moses are entering into the promised land, they are specifically told by God to leave certain tribes alone, to cohabit with certain tribes, but every tribe that is linked to these giants, these Rephaim, are to be utterly destroyed and wiped out. That is the command of Scripture. Don't, their cities, their families, whatever it is, just completely wiped out, okay? So the picture we get from Scripture is that they are unredeemable. Now, why is that? Well, if you wouldn't mind keeping your finger in Genesis 6, go with me to Genesis 3, and we're going to look at Genesis 3, verse 15. Are you still okay? 
Genesis 3.15 reads, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is really the scripture that predicts the unfolding of, it kind of explains all of humanity from that point on, all right, and the world we live in. What do we see here? This is God speaking to the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve have just taken off the fruit and fallen, and God turns to the serpent, and he says, I'm going to put enmity between the woman and you, and between your seed, Satan, and her seed. And the her seed there is singular masculine. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus will come, so there's a promised seed of the woman that will come that will crush or bruise the head of Satan, but in the process, the heel will be bruised. And we believe that happened on the cross, where Jesus was suffering on the cross for the sin of humanity. He was crushing the Satan's head, but at the same time, his heel was being bruised on the cross. That's, that's how we interpret this passage in Scripture. But I want you to see what's happening here. God is speaking to Satan, and he's saying, there's going to come a seed that's going to crush your head. So what does Satan think after that moment? Well, if I'm going to survive, I've got to stop the seed of the woman. I've got to create something on the earth that is mine, that cannot be redeemed, so that that doesn't happen. You see, in the Bible, genealogies are really important. Have you noticed that the Bible keeps genealogies? Sometimes painfully so, hey. <laughs> Come on, let's just be honest for a moment. Like, when you're reading those genealogies, you're just like, da 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 it's like, okay, like for what reason? I mean, even when you get to the Gospels, what you see in the Gospels is the genealogy of Jesus being traced all the way back to Adam, the son of God, painstakingly, it's like to, to Mary and to Joseph, his genealogy is traced. Why? Well, because the Bible is the story of two seeds on the earth, Okay. So here, this is, this is, it's very important that we know, the Bible's making a statement that Jesus came from uncontaminated seed. Okay, that's what it's saying, all right? Now take a look at this in Genesis 6. Are you still there? This gets more exciting. Check this out. Genesis 6, we're going to go one verse after, verse 9. It says the following. This is the genealogy of Noah. Okay, when we, when, we, when we see genealogy, what are we immediately thinking now? Seed, okay? So Noah found grace, and now we're looking at the seed, all right? Um, Noah was a just man, perfect, can you say perfect? In his generation. Noah walked with God. So Noah had a relationship with God. He was tight with God, he walked with God. And when we read these words just and perfect, often we understand them to be morally so. Like he didn't participate in the sin that was happening in the days of Noah, where there was mass wickedness on the earth and this transhuman species, okay? But that word perfect is the word in Hebrew, tormim. Can you say tormim? Tormim. And tormim means this. It means whole, sound, undefiled, complete, without blemish. And it's interesting, when you go and do a word study on this, what you find is that tomim is used 
in Leviticus when it's describing the type of sacrifice, animal sacrifice that needs to be brought to the Lord. You need to make sure that it's tormim, that it's whole, that it's not deformed, that it's not broken. So it's specifically talking about the physicality, the biology of the animal, that it can't have a disease. You know, like that there wouldn't be like this, oh, this, this, this one, this lamb is a bit, you know, diseased or deformed, so we'll just give that as an offering. No, it has to be sound, tomim. It has to be perfect. So it's interesting how it talks about Noah. It's describing him as what? Tomim. In other words, unpolluted, all right? The seed that was unpolluted from the beginning. Now, let's just, um, let's just take this forward now to, to modern times, okay? Can we just push pause there? All right, we're going we're gonna to come, come back to this, right? But, but the point is this, is that there was this, this seed battle, and we see a transhuman species on the earth, unredeemable, okay? So now we're in modern times, okay? We're back here to 2023. Welcome to 2023 again, all right? I was in Amsterdam just two months ago, and it was very interesting. I went out for dinner with some friends with this conference that I was at, and there was this... Uh, pub or nightclub or something in just across the street from where we were meeting. And I want you to take a look at the sign outside that club. Can you read what it says? The future is trance. Trance is the future. All right? That's what it's saying. Now, when we see that, we immediately know, because we see the rainbow flag thing there, we know exactly what that thing is talking about. It's talking about what? Trance? Genderism, okay? So transgenderism, would you agree with me, is a big topic on the earth right now? Yes. I've preached on this about two or three years ago. If you want to get, catch a sermon on it, if you want to get a biblical perspective of it, go to our podcasts, download, listen to it, like, comment, share. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just not good at that. I'll just... I could never do that. <laughs> but, so we're not going to talk about transgenderism today. But, but what I want you to know, it is a big topic in the world. It's messing up the sports industry. It's, I mean, it's crazy what's going on in terms of the, what, what actually is going on here is, they tr is there's a, a specific agenda of Satan to blur the lines between what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, okay? God created them male and female. And so there's a direct attack on the creation image of God to blur the lines between what is male and female, to create confusion around it, and I believe that what we're seeing right now and the debate, I mean, look at how people are identifying as a man, men are identifying as a woman, women are identifying as men. And then there's also there's people who are identifying as non-binary. I'm neither. Like, <laughs> but that's not the end of it. Then there's people identifying as wolves. And they've been called wolverines, I think. Or, and, and there's people identifying as other animals. And then pronouns. Don't call me he or she. Call me they or us. You, 
You know what I mean? It sounds strangely similar to what Jesus encountered in the Gennesarenes. But anyway, um, so, so what, what is going on here? Like there, there's a direct attack, and I believe this, is that Satan is making his agenda very clear, but we're not actually seeing what the end of this is. What is the end of this? Transgenderism is a step towards transhumanism. Satan's agenda is a transhuman future. That's what he's saying to the world. The future is trans. And what he means when he says trans is he's saying that it's not going to be the image of God walking on the earth anymore. It's going to be his image, his seed walking on the earth. That's what's happening right now. Okay? And Jesus said this, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the times. So we're, we're literally seeing this unfold. We must understand this, that Satan hates man. Hates man. Why? Because we remind him of who God is. And he hates God. We are created in the image of God. And his plan is to pollute that image, to destroy that image, to tarnish that image. And his hope is to achieve exactly what he achieved before the flood, that we would become so like him, unredeemable, that God would have to utterly destroy us. Why? Because he knows he's going to get destroyed. So he wants to take down as many people with him as possible. So let me, knowing this, right, I want to just give you a view into the transhuman agenda. You know the transgender agenda? This is the transhuman agenda. Here's a quote from um, Nick Bostrom, who is a professor at the University of Oxford, director for Future of, hum human, Future of Humanity Institute, okay? This is what he said. Transhumanist view, human nature, as a work in progress, not a finished work. What did God do? He created man and he said, it is finished and it is good, all right? This is saying that man is a work in progress, a half-baked beginning that we can learn to remold in desirable ways. Current humanity need not be the end point of evolution. Okay, so what I want you to understand here is that there is a big agenda in the world. The transhumanism is actually a religion, it's a belief in the world right now. And it's this, is that we can evolve and be better than what we are currently. We're a half-baked creation. I want you to know that it is steeped in humanism and evolution. Remember I've spoken about humanism a couple times in the series. Humanism is what? Man is ultimate. Man will save himself. No deity exists or will save us. We must save ourselves. Humanism. Evolution says this, that between the goo and you, there's a zoo. And you came from non-living matter. And somehow, randomly, over millions and billions of years, that it, we found all the complexity and beauty of the world we live in. And it was all a big accident. It just, boom, there it happened. They don't like to say that. They like to make it sound all very scientific and they use much bigger, but that's literally what they're saying. From dirt to living complex organisms like hu humans <laughs> with opposable thumbs, like there's just random acts of mutation that took place, selective uh, mutation that took place. Like somehow there's, there's no design in it. 
There's no architect behind life. There's no purpose to, end purpose to life. It's, everything is an accident. So you take evolution, you take humanism, you put them together, what you have is transhumanism. And so what does that mean in terms of a possible future going forward? Well, there's a couple of options that transhumanists are looking at right now. Firstly, there is a biological option, then there's a technological option, and then there's like a combination of the two. Let me explain it like this. Biologically, there are some incredible advances taking place in terms of you know, studying the human gene, uh, genome and human DNA and just incredible advances of what we're learning. And so the belief is this, is that biologically, we would be able to reverse aging and we would be able to stop disease and enhance our human capacities through some form of biological uh, change. So we're talking about one of my favorites, Captain America. <laughs> okay, what happened to Captain America? He got into that chamber and then all those needles went into him and they used the Tesseract or something, and they, like, there was this biological, and he, was in, he went in there like skinny like me, all right, and he came out like Daniel Bawartel, right? Like full on, big and strong, okay? Like so that there was this thing, and then have you noticed how Captain America doesn't get old? Like he just, he just he can't, you can't kill him, right? You, you just, he gets hurt, amen, but he just gets up again. And he gets going again. And he's got the superhuman strength and speed and all of that. So there's this idea that somehow biologically we're going to start to crack things so that we can be like that. And already there's incredible advances. I mean, we've got cats that can glow in the dark. We've got sheep walking around with human hearts in them. We've got mice with human brain cells in them. In fact, they've cracked the growth gene in mice so that mice can actually now grow three times their size. I don't know why anyone would want a bigger mouse. But... <laughs> You know, there's talk now of designer babies, choosing eye color, hair color, sex of your children. I want to show you this picture. This is a picture of an artificial womb, right, that's being developed in Holland right now, where we can literally take a fetus and put it into this artificial womb and sustain it to life, to birth. They're already doing it with lambs as well. So a possible future is we could look at humans being grown in artificial wombs. So we could have a situation in the future where governments actually grow their citizens in laboratories, choosing what their citizens look like, their superhuman capabilities, strengths. Like this is not too like um, unscientific anymore. This is very probable language and, uh, that people are talking in right now. All right, so that's the one option. Then the other option is technologically speaking. And what is this about? This is literally, and technologically speaking, what we're talking about is transferring your human brain into the digital world. So through brain mapping right now and advances in brain science, what they're learning is how you think. They can even, through brain scanning, uh, you can just imagine, you can, like, I don't know, think about a, a sunflower and they can tell you what you're thinking about based on the, the mapping of your brain, okay? And there's, there's incredible brain-to-computer interfaces taking place where we won't need keyboards anymore, 
we can just think the words and the computer will type. Um, you know, you won't need to change the channel using a clicker anymore. It's just like you can sit there and go, okay, change the channel. And then, the, so there's this brain to human interfacing taking place and this brain mapping taking place. And the idea that scientists are proposing is that in about 20 years, we will be able to map your brain completely and put it into a software program that could then be uploaded into a digital environment where you could achieve digital immortality once your body gives up. So it's basically just like download the software of you and put you in, in a digital future, okay? Yuval Noah Harari, one of the atheist prophets of our time, has said death is a technological problem and it will be solved through technology. It's a technological problem. Okay, so that's the other option. Or what we could see, biology and technology combining and a different kind of human future, kind of like an Iron Man future, all right, where technology is now coming closer and closer to the human body, and now it's actually going to start coming into the human body. So, for example, he has a picture of a soldier who had his arm blown off and now has a prosthetic robotic limb that functions on his brain signals. So by just thinking, he can open and close his hand, and they've even built sensors into the arm now so that he can feel his daughter's face again, all right? And they're talking about robotic skin now that's gonna enable robots to actually feel. So it can pick up an egg sensitively, just like it can pick up a iron ball, all right? And, and know the difference between the two. Already in China, children are wearing these headsets um, in class there's a robot in the classroom and there's these headsets. And what these headsets do is they monitor brain activity of the children. They know exactly when the child is not concentrating anymore. <laughs> Aren't you glad you went to school in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s? <laughs> Can you imagine your teacher knew exactly? And it's literally uploading the information to an iPad on the teacher's desk and alerting the teacher of any changes in the children. Not only that, it's sending the reports to the parents as well. <laughs> How many of you have met Sophia before? Sophia is on the cover of magazines, um, is actually the first robot to be granted human citizenship in Saudi Arabia. It's a, it's a citizen of Saudi Arabia, and it serves uh, at the United Nations on their first, as their first innovation champion. So actually, this robot is sitting at the United Nations, a citizen of Saudi Arabia. In Japan and a few other nations around the world, we even have people marrying robots. They're called technosexuals. <laughs> so, listen. <laughs> the world's gone crazy, all right? <laughs> Repent and believe in <laughs> Jesus. Um, obviously, this raises so many questions, like in terms of what the future's gonna look like and who's gonna have access to these biological or technological upgrades? Will it only be the rich? Um, I mean, even now, people are freezing their bodies and brains on death being preserved in chambers of liquid nitrogen so that hopefully one day when technology comes to the party, they'll be able to be rebooted. 
Over 300 people have been frozen already and thousands are on the waiting list. And it can cost up to $200,000 to do it. So this raises questions of like, well, will, this, will we create an elite superhuman and then there will be the rest of us on the planet? Is the future like Elysium where, you know, there's the super rich have access to all of this stuff and then the rest of us plebs don't? Or will it be a future like Terminator where the robots actually then just take over and we don't have humans on the planet? It's just a robotic future like the Matrix. There's all sorts of questions and all sorts of stuff like that. But I think what is the question for us? What do we think about this? Amen? Are you still okay? What is our opinion as Christians? What is the key question that we need to ask when it comes to this race for transhumanism on the earth? I believe the key question that we need to ask is this. How far can we push the boundaries? At what point do we stop being human or like Noah, Tormim, at what point do we stop being Tormim? At what point is our humanity lost in all of us pushing the boundaries? At what point do we become unredeemable? What is that point? And is it possible that we can mess with our biology, our physiology, and our psychology to the point where the gospel of grace cannot reach us anymore? I believe that is the key questions, the key questions that we need to ask. Because guys, we know the gospel is powerful. And we know that it transcends the sin that we've committed in our lives. It doesn't matter, the gospel says this, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past, how immoral you were, how wicked you were, the gospel can still reach you and transform you and save you and give you eternal life. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter six, Paul is preaching to the church and he says, guys, he talks about how they were wicked, immoral, homosexual, sodomites. He says, and such were some of you but the gospel of grace reached you and sanctified you and washed you and justified you and made you a new creation in Christ. So we know this is that sin, where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. That sin is not an obstacle to us hearing and receiving the gospel. The gospel can still reach us no matter how depraved we are. So it's not hindered by that. And we also know that the gospel is universal. Why? Because Paul says it's for the Jew first and to the Greek, as many as God will call. In the end, we see every tribe, every tongue standing before the throne in worship. So we know that the gospel is not exclusive to a particular race or ethnicity or language group. You can be Asian, African, Aborigine, Nordic, or you can be this wonderful combination of any of them. The gospel can still save you. But at what point, we have to ask, is the gospel hindered? At what point are we unreachable with the gospel? And wouldn't that be the point that Satan would like us to cross? Considering the seed war that we see unfolding in Genesis. We know that animals, the gospel is not for animals. We know that it's not for fallen angels. We know it's not for robots. It's a uniquely human 
gospel. It's for humans. At what point does our humanity get lost? There's this very interesting link, as science is progressing now, there's this interesting link between our psycho, I mean, sorry, our physiology and our spirituality. There's this incredible link where what they've done is through brain mapping, when Christians begin to pray, through brain mapping, they start to see that certain parts of the brain are becoming activated. And typically, it's the front lobal section of the, of the brain. And what happens is there's a, a release of uh, dopamine and serotonin. And as, that, uh, as what's happening there in the brain, it literally releases these chemicals into the body, and the body starts to heal itself. And your anxiety decreases, peace increases. There's this restorative process that starts happening in your entire body, from your brain to your soul to, to your physiology even, that's taking place, to the point where they can actually see that if you take somebody who, who doesn't pray and somebody who does pray, you can see in the brain more developed parts of the brain in somebody who has a deep spirituality with God. Which is very interesting <laughs> because what happens if knowing this information, Satan were to invent some sort of vaccine or some sort of brain implant that could shut down parts of our brain through which we communicate with God? making us, in essence, Rephaim, walking dead, spiritually dead, spiritually unresponsive or able to communicate with God. So just hear me for a moment, all right? Remember, I'm not preaching doctrine, I'm proposing things. As you sit on your phone and scroll and scroll and scroll and multitask and multitask, parts of your brain are not being developed and parts of your brain are being developed. And what can happen is, because you're so digitally distracted, you're not able actually to hear God. How many of you know that this is true? It's actually, we have to go back to meditating on the Word, quietening our spirit man, prayer, solitude, just spending time with God, waiting on God, fasting, that suddenly we're able to connect more with God. We know it's a satanic agenda in the world right now to keep us so digitally distracted that we can't hear God. What if there's a point where it's like you just can't hear Him anymore? What if there's that point where actually maybe through, through a vaccine or an implant or, you know, phones going into our heads now, that now the activity, that part of the brain that is there to communicate with God and to heal the body is no longer able to be accessed anymore. It's very interesting when we look at Revelation 13, what we see is the mark of the beast that goes into the right hand or into the, into the head. And it says that when we receive that mark, we become unredeemable. In Revelation 14, it talks about everyone who receives that mark will be destroyed along with Satan. So it's like it's a non-returning line. And when we talk about transhumanism and the advances in technology and biology and the messing with our bodies, the key question we need to ask is, how far can we push this before this messes up my spirituality and my walk with God and makes me like the Rephaim? 
as your pastor, I want to say to you this morning that I am concerned, especially in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, what we saw in a vaccine being pushed and forced on people around the world. And, we, and many people just through fear, we take it. Many people through studying, taking it. But I'm not saying it was good or bad or evil. What I'm saying is this, is that I think we need to be very careful about what goes into our bodies in the future. Like I'm not trying to raise a conspiracy theory around the vaccine and whatever happened there, but I'm just saying it's highly suspicious. And I think we need to have a healthy suspicion if somebody wants to put something in our bodies. Why is that? Well, because 1 Corinthians 6 says the following. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? There is this link between you and the Holy Spirit. And, the, and it's this body, all right? And it goes on and says, whom you have received from God and you are not your own anymore. Your body is not your body anymore. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. At what point can we mess our bodies up so bad that it's not able to function as the temple of God any longer? And when I say a healthy suspicion, what I mean is don't give into conspiracy theories or fear-mongering or anything, but rather let's stay in touch with scientists who are at the cutting edge of vaccines, who are at the cutting edge of technology advances and, and, and are raising these questions and that we are very careful going into the future knowing the satanic agenda on the earth right now. Satan is pushing for a transhumanism on the earth. Are you still okay? Can you just check the pulse of the person next to you? Those are two, that's a possible future for transhumanism, okay? Through technology, biology, or a mixing of the two. There is another option, which I just have to mention very briefly this morning. Just a little sidetrack that we need to go on because... I can't preach on transhumanism for the rest of the year, okay? And it's this, is, is that the future could also look like exactly what we saw in Genesis chapter six. What happened in Genesis chapter six? Fallen angels breeding with humanity to create a transgender species. We could see something like that actually happening now, because we're, as it was in the days of Noah, it is now. Why is that even plausible? Well, because there's this very interesting passage in the book of Daniel. And once again, I hope you're taking notes and you're writing things down because I need you to go and research this yourself and get your own thoughts around these scriptures, all right? Let's look at scripture. Let's have a studious heart on it. In Daniel chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and only Daniel's able to interpret it. And in the dream, there's this massive statue that Nebuchadnezzar sees, all right? And there's a head of gold. There it is over there. There's chest and arms of silver, belly of bronze, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. And then there's this crushing rock. Now, in this passage, what we know from the time of Daniel to after Christ is that what Nebuchadnezzar was seeing is the rise of kingdoms on the earth. Daniel interprets the dream for him. And we know that the head of gold was the Babylonian empire, all right? And they were characterized as an empire of gold. Then we see after them the, the, 
the Mede and the Persian Empire, which was like silver, and so on, all the way through to Greece, and then the Iron Legs, which is the Roman Empire. And in that time, all right, we see this rock, which we know is Jesus, coming as well. Now, it's interesting when it looks at the feet. Okay, so we can track through history, we can see all those empires. But when it comes to the feet, which is made of iron and clay, miry clay, it gets a little confusing because we're like, well, what empire is that? Because we haven't seen that established on the earth. There's been a number of theories around it. And many believe that it could be talking about a resurgent Roman Empire, some sort of European-dominated world where the Roman Empire was, uh, again, taking control over the world. But look at what it says in Daniel chapter 2. It says, And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom, that's to come, shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they, can you say they, will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Who is the they that they're talking about in this passage? You know, it's, it's very interesting because we don't know what, who the they is, but could it be talking about the fallen angels, they mixing with the seed of men like we see, and that the new empire coming on earth could be a transhuman race just like we see in Genesis chapter six. When you look at, all right, now just, have you got your seatbelts on? Have you got your seatbelt on? I don't want you to run out, okay? It's very interesting to notice the increase in UFO sightings in the last 50, 60, 70 years, okay? Are we really going there, Pastor? Yes, we are. These beings or entities or aliens coming to Earth and these various happenings taking place where what happens is they abduct people, experiment on people, rape women, and even steal women's fetuses. Fetuses, right? Is that the right word? How do I say plural? Fetuses. Fetuses, right. Thank you, Nox. <laughs> so... So these are like people, real people, having these testimonies, and most of us dismiss them as crazy, right? Um, I, I don't know. I'm not saying they are crazy or not. I'm just saying it's very interesting, but I do think aliens make good candidates for fallen angels, and the world will just call them aliens because they don't know what else to call them, but they could be fallen angels and demonic spirits that are actually coming back on the earth in this time and starting to experiment with humanity to look at creating a transhuman future on the earth. And then we have exactly what we had in the days of Noah. I don't know. Maybe a combination of the two, we don't know. But these are things that I think we need to keep our eyes on going forward. And can you say this? My body belongs to the Lord. Amen? Can we agree? Whatever goes in here and whatever we do with this, remember it affects our spirituality. It affects our relationship with God. That's why we're commanded to look after it, tend it, keep it, look, nourish it, make sure that it's at its peak performance so that you can walk with the Lord like Noah did. What is a biblical response? I'm going to close now. Worship team, you're welcome to come on up at this point. So firstly, 
What is the end goal of transhumanism? The end goal is immortality. Digital immortality or some sort of immortality extending the life of man on earth. That is what the goal of transhumanism is. I want us to know this morning that as Christians, we are not against immortality. Can somebody say amen? amen? In fact, we exist as the redeemed of the Lord for eternity. That Christ saved us and gives us eternal life. We believe the solution for death was solved at the cross. Amen? It won't be solved in a test tube and it won't be solved at a computer interface. Where we as Christians disagree with the transhumanist agenda fundamentally is that it tries to bypass the issue of sin to get eternal life. When the Bible is clear in Romans 5, it says that sin entered the world through one man and death came through sin. And because everyone sinned, everybody dies. The Bible clearly tells us the problem of death is sin. The, it's the, sin leads to death. We will never be able to bypass death without addressing the issue of sin. And this is very important because we're in the digital age, they're saying that the soul of man is like software. We can just download it and then upload it into a digital environment. The Bible says very clearly that the soul is distinct from the body. It's an entity on its own. So while technology might be able to mimic or pretend to be your soul, it will never be your soul. And the whole thing of freezing your body and freezing your brain and then hoping to get a jump start in the future. The Bible teaches that you are more than your biology and once your body gives up, your soul leaves for good. It either goes to heaven or hell. In Luke chapter 16, we see the rich man dying and going to hell and he says, please send me back so I can tell and warn my brothers and my family about this place. He wants to go back, but he cannot go back to his body. In Hebrews 9 verse 27, it says, it's appointed unto man to die once. Can you say once? Once. Once. We die once, and then after that, it's not like you just hang around in your body waiting for a jump start. You then go and you stand before God in judgment. After this, the judgment. And that's why Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 6 warns us, says, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed. And what it's talking about is that delicate relationship between your soul and your body. When that silver cord, that, that relationship is loosed, you are in judgment before God. That's the moment that your, your period of grace has ended. That's the moment you've had the, all this time now while you're alive to make right with the Lord, to receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ by repenting of your sins. And if you haven't done so, that's it. Your time is over. You face judgment before God. There's no like second chance, as it were, when we read the Bibles. You breathe your last, that's it. You stand before God in judgment. So this digital immortality, this freezing of bodies, it's a false gospel. 
It's promising false hope. We already have the vaccine for death. <laughs> it's Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead and he says, I have the keys of death and Hades in my hand. If you come to me, I will give you life everlasting. That is where the solution is. So I want us to know this morning, we're not against transism. The world is looking at transgenderism and transhumanism. We as Christians are all about transforming into the image of Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that we are not to conform to the pattern of this world. We're not just to conform with sickness and, and, and disease and you know all of the, the, the dysfunctionality of it. No, but we enter into life everlasting through the cross and in the process we are transformed through the renewing of our minds into the image of Christ. And so while the world is pursuing immortality in every other way that it can find, we find it in Christ. And to the Jews, they just want a sign. And to the Greeks, they're like, this is crazy, you know. But to us who are saved, Christ is the wisdom of God. He is the scientific, philosophical solution to the problem of humanity. He is the answer that we're looking for. If we're all looking for life everlasting, it's found. God has dealt with it. And the best news is that it's a free gift to us. That we don't have to go to university and study and try and get all smart to get in there. Whether you're rich, poor, whether you're educated or not, whether you're a wicked sinner or you've been good all your life, you still need the cross and it's still applicable to you. Eternal life is found. So our transism is transformation into the image of Christ. I want you to introduce you just quickly with, to this guy, Bill. Let me just get his name here. Bill Murray, why don't you stand to your feet as well? We finished. Bill Murray, he's the founding, he's the CEO of Google Ventures. And he convinced Google's um, leaders to invest billions, billions of dollars into a highly secret business, no, like R&D research to reverse aging. Money. I'm talking about being plowed into a Silicon Valley company to reverse aging. Why? Look at what he says. Seeing my father die of a brain tumor changed me. My thoughts can turn to dark things when I'm alone. Saints, I want you to see that when the end is the grave and there's no hope beyond that, there is no hope to life. If all we here to do is just die, at the end of it, and all that you've worked for and all that you love is lost, then let me tell you something. Go eat, go drink, do whatever you want because tomorrow you might be dead. This is what the world lives with, the fear of death, the fear that my life is meaningless, that between me, uh, the goo and me, there's this zoo in between that there's no meaning to my purpose, there's no God above me and there's no hope beyond the grave. I want you to know that Jesus Christ came in Hebrews 2.15 to set free all who live as slaves to the fear of dying. I wish Bill would have plowed all those millions into the gospel. <laughs> Imagine what we could do in the earth with all those billions. Plow it into the gospel. Why? Because if we're really going to trance, we're going to transform into the image of Christ. 
If we're really going to live eternally, it's going to be through the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Saints, I want to say this. If you're trusting in anything else besides Jesus this morning, you are standing on shaky ground. You're standing on ground that will not support you. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is fact. It's history. It's there. It's not fake news. (laughs) It's real news. And he has the ability to transform our lives and give us eternal lives. Can we just bow our heads for a moment this morning in prayer? If you're here this morning and you're trusting in anything else besides Jesus, but today you realize that you wanna give your life to him and you wanna serve him and follow him, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand up high and I'm gonna pray with you where you are right now. You're here today and you have never given your heart to Jesus Thank you. Anybody else? You want to raise your hand this morning? Raise it up nice and high so I can see where you're at. Brilliant. Thank you. Anybody else? You want to raise your hand? You want to give your life to Jesus? You want eternity? I want to tell you, science is not going to answer it for you. The God that you've invented in your mind will not save you. It's only the God of the Bible. It's only Jesus Christ who has the power to save your soul and give you eternal life. Anybody else? You want to join these guys with their hands raised this morning? Anybody else? Raise your hand up quickly and then I'm gonna pray with you. Raise your hand up. All right, you guys, you've got your hands raised. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, just a simple prayer, and then we're gonna go into worship. Can you pray this with me? Father God in heaven. And all of you, help them. Say, Father God in heaven. I realize the way of Christ is the way of life. I repent of my sins. I turn away from what is wrong. And I turn to Jesus this morning. Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I put my life in your hands. And from this day forward, I will follow you. I will be your servant. I will read your word and serve you all my days. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermon. Be blessed.